your Christian brother is marrying a non-Christian woman and has invited you to the wedding. Do you go? Your friend has invited you on Facebook to join their protest at the judicial overturn of the travel ban. Do you join the protest? Your oldest child is almost school age and you're thinking through schooling decisions. Do you send that child to a Christian school, a public school, or do you homeschool? The guys on your adult soccer team invite you out for a beer after your game. Do you go and share a beer with them? You're thinking through how much technology is appropriate to have in your life. How do you go about making that decision? There's a dress that you've been eyeing. You think it would look fantastic on you. But it's a little bit out of your price range. How do you decide whether or not to buy it? We're all faced with decisions for which there is no black and white answer in the scriptures to tell us exactly what to do. What do we do when we are faced with these kind of decisions? Well, the Bible claims that because it is the Word of God, that through it, you and I are thoroughly furnished for every good work, meaning that God has provided for us everything that we need to live godly lives. So it might not be a surprise that there are sections of the Bible that explain how to make decisions like the examples I just gave you when there are not clear universal directives in God's Word. This morning, we are going to look at what I think is the most important of those passages. It's Romans 14. So please take a Bible and turn with me to Romans 14. Now we're going to work our way through this chapter. So if you don't have a Bible, please just grab one from the rack in front of you. And in those Bibles, it's page 921, Romans chapter 14. And we're going to look at what, in my opinion, is the most helpful passage of Scripture for thinking through these kind of confusing decisions that I gave you examples of at the beginning of this sermon. Now, while you're turning, let me tell you that as I studied through this passage and thought about examples to use, I was faced with a choice. On one hand... I could choose examples that nobody in this room is really going to have any problems with. There's not going to be any disagreement, any controversy, any problems. 
I could then use those examples. We'd go through the passage. Everyone would be happy. The problem is, as I prayed about it, that didn't seem like the right thing to do. God wrote this passage to help us make these kinds of difficult decisions, some of which I spelled out examples of at the beginning of the sermon. So what I've chosen to do is use some of those examples and show how Romans 14 works in light of those examples. Now there's a problem. By choosing these examples that are difficult and confusing, the problem is is that it's easy for us to become fixated on the example instead of the passage that guides us through the decision-making process. I'm willing to take that risk rather than simply choose innocuous examples that don't really matter to anybody. But my urgent request to you is, any one of these examples, you could preach an entire sermon on that example. We don't have time to do that today, and we don't want to miss the forest because of the trees. So for example, should you attend the wedding of a love Christian loved one who is marrying a non-Christian. That's a complex decision. There's many factors involved. Is your loved one a relatively new Christian? Are they currently living with the person they're planning on marrying? And so, does 1 Corinthians 5 apply? Would by you going to that wedding, would people see that as you approving of this marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian? Is it an actually Christian ceremony or is it just a civil ceremony? There are lots of things to consider when trying to make the decision, should I attend that wedding? I can't go through all of those for all of these examples. But Romans 14 is part of that decision-making process. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk us through Romans 14. We're going to begin in verse 1, which tells us the kinds of situations or the kinds of decisions that this chapter applies to. And then we're going to look at five principles from Romans 14 to help us make the kinds of decisions that we're talking about. So let's begin in verse number one, and let's understand the kinds of decisions that Romans 14 is applicable to. Paul says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. The leading verb is accept, and the idea here is of welcoming others. And the recognition is, in certain areas, well-meaning Christians who are faithfully following God are going to make different decisions, and that our job is to accept those who are making different decisions about particular things than we are. Paul says, do this without quarreling. And the recognition is there are certain decisions that you and I are going to make in our Christian lives following the Lord's leading that are going to be different from one another. And the point is we are not supposed to fight about these things. These are not issues for fighting over. There are certain things 
that it is worth disagreeing about. Pastor Ed Dobson used to speak about absolutes, convictions, and preferences. Another way to say it, there are certain things that the scriptures are black and white about. There are other things that God has purposefully chosen not to be black and white about, and in those areas God is saying, don't fight with one another. Don't have arguments about these things. What things? Disputable matters. Now the word for disputable doesn't really mean things that we fight over because anything could be disputable at that point. What it means is things that we have opinions about, meaning we are not talking about sort of absolute ethical things that the Bible spells out very clearly. For example, in Romans 12, God says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's not a disputable matter. That's a universal command applicable to all Christians. In Romans 12, when God says, do not repay evil with evil, but pay back evil with good, that's not a disputable matter. Romans 14 does not apply in that situation. It's an absolute universal command. We are supposed to pay back evil with good. In Romans 13, a passage that I preached back in November about our response or relationship to government, we are told we're supposed to pay our taxes and be subject to governing authority. That's not a disputable matter. It's a clear, universal uh, admonition in the Scriptures. Last week, when Tom walked us through the section in, in Romans 13, which talks about avoiding jealousy and drunkenness and sexual immorality, those are not disputable matters. Romans 14 does not apply in those situations. Now, this is especially important when you think about, for example, sexual ethics. It's possible to think, well, there are good Christians who disagree about sexual ethics. That's true, but that doesn't make it a disputable matter. A disputable matter is a matter that God says is a disputable matter. He gives some examples in here. What we eat, how we spend our time, and social drinking. But of course, Romans 14 is meant to apply to many more things than that. Now again, just to be clear, we're not talking about doctrinal issues. We're talking about ethical choices how we behave. And the point is, there are some things ethically that are universal, black and white, declared in the scriptures, this is what you're supposed to do. Avoid sexual immorality. That's not a disputable matter. There are other things, however, which are personal ethical decisions. It's between you and the Lord. So for example, Drunkenness is a universal admonition in the Bible to avoid. Avoid drunkenness. That is not a disputable matter. Choosing to drink socially when you're above the age of 21, that is a disputable matter. It's listed in our passage as a disputable matter. 
which means it's a personal ethical decision between you and the Lord. And Romans 14 is going to give us five principles for trying to make those personal ethical decisions. Now, before I give them to you, is everybody clear on what this applies to? We're not talking about universal commands that are spelled out explicitly in Scripture. We are talking about situations like what you eat, how you spend your time, uh, social drinking, these kind of things, attending a wedding between a Christian and a non-Christian, where the Bible has not spelled out explicitly what we're supposed to do. Romans 14 gives us five principles. Principle number one, no judging. Follow along as I read verses two to four. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, some of you in this congregation have in the past or will in the future engage in political protests. That is within your rights as being part of this country. When it comes to our relationship to government, the universal ethical command is obey and pay your taxes. Within that context, there is room for people who want to protest how things are happening. And if you have decided to engage with the political process that way, that's between you and the Lord. If you want to participate in things having to do with Black Lives Matter or Women's March, or you want to be part of protests for the Affordable Care Act, or part of Tea Party protests about tax increases. The point is, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not allowed to judge you because you're engaged. You're not allowed to look down on me because I'm not engaged. How we engage in the political process is a disputable matter, meaning it is not spelled out as a universal ethic for all Christians to behave in a certain way. And the point is, it's between you and the Lord. And please, my brothers and sisters, we do irreparable harm when we take disputable matters and turn them into absolutes and start judging one another. No matter what situation you get in, you cannot make proclamations that all Christians will vote for this candidate or that candidate, or all Christians will engage in the political process this way or that way. How we engage in the political process is a disputable matter, and principle number one is stop judging other people. It's between them and the Lord. And as long as we're not violating universal ethical principles about slander, about paying taxes, about being respectful, those sorts of things, it's between you and the Lord. You're God's son, you're God's daughter, How you determine you're going to engage is between you and the Lord. I am not allowed to judge you, and you're not allowed to look down on me. 
Some Christians feel called by God to be more engaged in the political process. Some Christians feel called by God to be less engaged in the political process. The point is, we are not allowed to judge one another on these things. You need to do what's right for you before God. I need to do what's right for me before God. I'm not allowed to look down on you for making a different decision than I've made. You're not allowed to judge me for making a different decision than you've made. Principle number two. No gray. Keep following along with me in verse number five. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, some of us in this room have some gray hair. I notice every year, my goatee especially, looks more and more gray. Now, the interesting thing, according to scientists, there is no such thing as gray hair. Hair either has color or it's white. In my goatee, I have some black hairs and I have some white hairs. When you look at them collectively, they look gray, but there isn't actually such a thing as gray hair. So it is with these kind of decisions. In a congregation like this, when I look out, I will see gray. But the point is, there isn't actually any gray when it comes to an individual's decision. Every decision that is made is between you and the Lord, but there is a right decision for you to make and a wrong decision. What makes this a gray issue is that you may choose one thing between you and the Lord, and the person sitting next to you may choose something different. So in the grand scheme of things, the total looks gray, but please don't make the mistake of thinking there are actually gray individual personal issues. Every one of us will stand before God and give an account of the decisions that we make. Every one of us are going to engage with God that way. If your loved one, someone that you love, who's a Christian, is marrying a non-Christian, you have to make a decision about whether to go to that wedding or not. It's not a gray area. You don't get to say, well, some people think I should and some people think I shouldn't, so I'm free to do whatever I want. No, the point is, 
God may lead you to attend that wedding. He may lead someone else not to attend the wedding. The grand collective may look gray, but for you and for me, that individual decision is black and white. It's between us and the Lord. And I'll have to give an account when I stand before God on that decision. You'll have to do the same. If you would choose to attend that wedding, you'll stand and give an account to God. If you choose not to attend that wedding, you'll stand and give an account to God. And the point is, the grayness of an issue only applies to those issues where God might lead one person to do one thing and another person to do another. We each still are being led by God. And the idea is not, well, in certain areas, you and I are free to do whatever we feel like doing. That's not the point. The point is, in certain areas, one Christian may be led by God to do one thing, and another Christian may be led by God to do another thing. We're not supposed to fight with one another or judge one another, but we each still are accountable to God. And as you think through, am I supposed to attend this wedding or not? The reason it's a gray area is because you can't make that decision by simply looking at what everybody around you is doing. It's a decision you must make between you and the Lord, and you'll give an account for it. There is a right decision about you personally attending that wedding or not attending that wedding. And the Lord will promise to lead you and guide you in that. Principle number three. No stumbling blocks. Keep following along with me at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anything, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. No gray areas. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. At Calvary Church, we have a policy. Our pastoral staff and our elders have agreed on it together that for our pastoral staff and for our elders, we've agreed not to engage in most contexts in social drinking. We don't have that policy because social drinking is a universal absolute that's black and white in Scripture. It's not. In fact, verse 21 tells you it's not. It tells you that deciding to drink socially is one of these Romans 14 decisions. Why we, I'll just say I, have chosen not to engage in that, remember 
there are no gray issues, meaning in this congregation, there are some people here for whom drinking alcohol is a sin. There are others here for whom drinking alcohol is not a sin. That's why it's a disputable matter. But the point is, if for somebody that's here for whom between them and the Lord, between you and the Lord, it would be a sin, if you say, well, Pastor, Pastor Jim drinks, he's a pastor, he's supposed to be more spiritual than other people, I should be able to do this too. If you see me doing that and as a result decide to engage in something that is a sin for you, I've now become a stumbling block to you. And Paul's point is, why would you want to destroy a brother or sister for the sake of a drink? And so as a pastoral staff and elders, we've made the choice to obey Romans 14 and say, look, we don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone. The fact that I don't drink doesn't mean it's wrong for you. That's a choice I've made between me and the Lord along with the other leadership of the church to say, we don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. Now please, parents, there are some of you here that probably need to think through social drinking from the kind of effect it can have on your children. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong for you. Hear me correctly. It is a disputable matter, and each individual Christian must decide between themselves and God. However, we must also take into account how our choices might cause others for whom that is wrong to be led into doing it, which would be a sin. Now, this is a tricky point. It says up here, no stumbling blocks. It doesn't say no complaining. Meaning the point is not we have a policy where the pastoral staff have agreed not to socially drink because we think some people in this church might be upset if we do. That's not what this passage says. That's point number one, no judging. The only danger is if we might lead somebody astray. And so if there's somebody in your life who says, well, I don't like it that Christians drink, that's point number one. That's not your call. If there's somebody in your life for whom you're drinking, or movies, or whatever as you want to add to this, might cause them to do something they wouldn't have done otherwise because they're looking at you and you're a role model or a spiritual leader in their life, then Paul's point is don't do it. Is it really worth watching that movie? or participating in that protest, or drinking that drink, and destroying, that's the word he uses, destroying someone's life who's less mature than you are. Number four, no blabbing. Verse 22 is a really, really interesting verse. Look at it with me. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. If you've decided to spend $500 on a brand new dress, that's between you and the Lord. Paul's point here is, don't go telling everybody what you spent on that dress. 
because that might be a stumbling block to other people. Not because they criticize you. That's point one. We're not doing that. But because somebody who struggles with materialism might be tempted to go out and spend money that God doesn't want them to spend to keep up with what you're doing. Or someone might be tempted to go home and spend that kind of money and it's not in accordance with what God gave them in their budget to do. The point is, if you've spent $500 on the dress and you and God have worked that through, and you're, great, enjoy it. But why tell somebody how much you spent? Keep it between yourself and God. Because the moment you and I start sharing that information, if it causes someone else to sin, now what was right for us has now become wrong for us. And Paul's point is, why not just keep it to yourself? Now, I understand. There are a group of friends for whom you can share, look, this is how much this cost me. And it's not going to be a stumbling block to them. There are a group of friends that you can say, hey, look, I chose to watch this movie, and you know that they're not going to necessarily choose to watch that movie, or if it does, it's not going to be a stumbling block to them. That's fine. But the point is, take precautions as to who you tell things to. This is one of the reasons why it is really, really dangerous to think about posting stuff on social media, these kinds of things. It's great that you participated in that last protest route. You have every freedom in God to do that. It's great that you watch this particular movie, which may have some violence in it, but you and between you and the Lord, that violence doesn't affect you. That's fine. It's great that you spent this much money on that dress. The problem is, is once you post this stuff for everybody to see, now all of a sudden you're running the risk of a less mature Christian reading that post and thinking that movie is now okay for them or participating in that protest that way is okay for them or spending that much money on a dress is okay for them. And Paul's point is, why would you do that? Just keep it between yourself and God. There's lots of things you can post on social media which are a blessing to other people. In this case, these disputable matters, listen, post it, posting a picture of you with a drink in your hand, that can be a stumbling block to other people. Why do it? Why take something that is fine for you? That dress, that movie, that drink, that protest, whatever it may be. Why take something that is already okay between you and God and now make it a sin by causing someone else to stumble? And why destroy them for the sake of your freedom? So the fourth point is, keep it to yourself. Keep it between yourself and God. Look, this is mostly about the freedom side of things. I told you that I don't drink. If I did drink, getting up here and telling all of you that, that would be blabbing. The idea is if there's something that you've worked out between you and the Lord that you're fine with, just keep it to yourself and God. That's not being non-transparent. It's being kind. There's no reason you have to tell everybody the music you listened to or the last movie you saw. You don't have to do those things. In fact, the scriptures are saying, don't do those things. Point number five, no doubt. Verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat 
because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Hear this? Everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is a really useful principle for trying to make these sort of difficult personal ethical decisions. The presence of doubt can be something that the Lord is using to speak to your heart. For example, if you're trying to decide where to send your children to school or how to handle that schooling option, and your parents expect you to send them to a Christian school because you were sent to a Christian school, or you have expectations of sending your kids to a Christian school because you think that's the right thing to do, if at some point you begin to doubt whether or not this would actually be a good thing for your child, that can be one of the ways in which the Spirit is telling you, in this case, a different decision should be made than the one that was made for you. Everything that's not from faith is not from the Lord. So if, for example, you're thinking about homeschooling your children, but you think to yourself, I'm not sure I'm competent to be able to teach them. I don't know if they'll get into a good enough college if I teach them. That's making a decision in fear. That's the wrong way to make the decision. Whatever is doubting or from fear, that's not from the Lord. The Lord is the one who says, look, trust me, I can do this. I can help you in this. And if you make that decision based in faith, that's from the Lord. And the presence of doubt is one of the ways that the Spirit tells you that you might need to make a different decision than perhaps people around you. So if your parents have decided not to go to your brother's wedding because he's marrying a non-Christian, but for whatever reason, you can't get by the fact that you think this is going to irreparably damage your relationship with your brother if you don't show up. The presence of doubt may be God telling you to make a different decision than your parents are making. You can't judge them, and they can't condemn you. But the presence of doubt says the Spirit is up to something here. If when you're getting ready to buy that dress, you think to yourself, man, this just feels like it's a lot of money, and you begin to have doubts as to whether or not this is actually okay for you, that's one of the ways the Spirit might be telling you not to do it. If this morning, while you've been listening to this discussion on alcohol, and you think, well, maybe I need to think about this in relation to my kids, and you begin to doubt... Just because everybody around you is engaged in social drinking, that doesn't mean that it's right for you. And the presence of doubt might be God's way of saying, you need to make a different decision between you and I than what people around you are doing. One of the great things about the Spirit is he brings peace. Now, that doesn't mean in these decisions that there won't be any confusion or any question. They're confusing topics. But at some point, As you have prayed through these things, as you have thought through these things, as you've worked through these things, if the Spirit is in it, it will bring you peace. And even if people around you have made a different decision, even if people around you are judging you or condemning you, the presence of the Spirit will remind you, this is between you and me. It's not between you and everybody else. And so principle number five is no doubt. That if you're making a decision in faith, now look, there are lots of ways to abuse this passage. There are lots of ways to say, I'm free to do whatever I want. That's not how this works. 
You will stand before God. If you apply this passage to the wrong decisions, you will be accountable to God. It's for certain kinds of personal ethical decisions. I've listed a whole bunch of you of them for you today. There are a lot more. But the promise is that God did not give us a legalistic system. He gave us a spirit. He gave us his very presence to live within us, to lead us and to guide us. And so my encouragement to you is don't be afraid. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. It's what your heavenly father thinks in these situations that matters. Don't listen to what everybody who's judging you says. Don't listen to everybody who's condemning you, what they're saying. The point is, it's between you and the Lord. The Bible is black and white on lots and lots of things. But God has purposefully not been black and white about everything. Because in these personal ethical decisions, he wants you to engage with him, and he wants a church where different individuals are making different choices, being led by the Spirit. And so my encouragement to you, this is complex stuff. Why not take a future small group meeting or a future Sunday school class or spend some time today at family lunch or with some friends? Talk through Romans 14. It's a really interesting passage. Talk through these five principles. Talk through some of these examples. Try to work out what else might be disputable matters that Romans 14 applies to. When you do that, be assured God, through his spirit, will lead you and guide you. If you want to make the right decision, listen, if you want to do whatever you want to do, you're going to find whatever passage is going to let you do whatever you want to do. But you'll still stand before God to give an account. But if you want to obey, if you want to please him, if you want to know what God wants you to do with regard to social drinking or engaging in the political process, or attending a particular wedding, or not attending a particular wedding, or how you spend your money, or how to engage in technology, or any of these kinds of things, if you genuinely want to know, he will tell you. That's the blessing of God's Spirit. So don't be afraid. You're his daughter. You're his son. He will not leave you to fend for yourself in these kinds of complex, difficult decisions. The encouragement to us is stop judging one another. Stop condemning one another. To our own master, a servant stands or falls. Who are we to judge somebody else? Did I die for you? Was I raised from the dead for you? Did I give you salvation? No. In these areas, it doesn't matter what I think of what you're doing. It doesn't matter what the people around you think of what you're doing. All that matters is what God thinks of what you're doing. And if I can help you hear from God, if the people around you can help you hear from God, then make use of it. If I can't and they can't, ignore. No judging, no gray, no stumbling blocks, no blabbing, no doubt.